This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to edition 140 of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Today, it is a great pleasure to welcome Jerry O'Gorman, Vice President of Industrial IoT for Advantech North America. Advantech is a nearly $2 billion global industrial intelligence leader headquartered in Taiwan. Prior to his acquisition by Advantech, Jerry served as CEO of B Plus B SmartWorks US and Managing Director of B Plus B SmartWorks EMEA located in Ireland. Jerry has over 30 years of experience in business leadership, general management, and international sales and marketing for a variety technology-based companies across industrial automation and IoT-related industries. He has been particularly active in mergers and acquisitions with a strong track record of success through technology and channel development, as well as new business case initiatives. Jerry, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Hi, Ken. How are you? All well, and so good to have you on this. Thank you. So, you know, we always like to start these uh, these interviews with a little bit of understanding your own digital industry leadership um, journey, if you will. So what would you consider to be the digital thread of your leadership journey? Yeah, I suppose there's a couple of common threads. Um, some of them I could now look back and relate to the digital experience. So common threads for me is I've Almost always worked for companies with a solid technology base, um, where usually, you know, I would say one common theme that crops up a lot in digital industry and has occurred many times in my career is the whole concept of added value and mission criticality. You know, working in applications that have a mission critical element or a business critical element, and therefore levels of service and added value become very, very important. Um, and, and one that really strikes me, the, the, the name of the first company I worked for was called Laboratory Data Control. And, you know, we now look to the digital age, we look to IoT and the importance of data um, in the business context for applications, business solutions. So, you know, at Laboratory Data Control, we were the back-end data crunching for a very uh, important emerging technology and application in the area of high-pressure liquid chromatography. And it's the kind of analysis that's used routinely these days, you know, for determining, for example, what's the constituent and the concentration of various uh, drugs in somebody's system and things like that. So we were doing the data side and we were manipulating the data. Uh, these devices uh, delivered a, a graph or a curve and we were integrating the area under the curve that was proportional to, let's say, the quantity of the substance you were measuring. Um, so that data theme is very important. And I suppose in addition to, you know, data for technology, what I found over the years is the importance of good, solid, accurate data uh, for, for good business decisions. Um, 
So I would say, you know, there are some of the foundational elements when I look back now. And another very interesting one, which kind of surprised me many years later when I joined B&B, was in the laboratory industry at that time, um, even though, you know, you look back on it now with Ethernet connectors and Wi-Fi being more or less, you know, a laboratory environment being extremely like a, an office environment. Uh, but many, many years later, when I joined B&B um, and noticed that uh, serial interfaces, RS-232, RS-422, RS-485, were still very common communications technologies. Um, and that's what was being used in the laboratory industry way back at the beginning of my career. And, you know, these communications methodologies were at the foundation of what was a very newly emerging laboratory information management systems uh, back then. Um, so, you know, even though uh, my initial work and journey with that company uh, was very involved with laboratory analytical instrumentation, it exposed me to a lot of the technologies, concepts, communications technologies that became extremely relevant later on in my career. Uh, for machine-to-machine -machine communications, IoT, uh, and digital industry. You know, um, you you recall we had uh, Casey Liu, who is uh, your CEO and founder at Advantech, yeah. on a podcast not uh, not that long ago, and it was very interesting to understand the journey Advantech went through, which started off in the very same kind of limbs area that you mentioned, uh, especially around uh, GPIB and the use of yes. PCs, you know, for lab laboratory automation. Interesting enough, it's it, strangely enough is also my background and where I came from, and it's it is. It's less of an IT evolution, as you say. It was less about the office environments and comparable, uh, let's say, IT solution sets than it is really more OT. So not surprising to see um, to see uh, B plus B also have some of the same elements of it later on in uh, in that regard. Um, you, you've already started to mention some of your uh, early experiences and such. So I'd say firmly seated in industrial companies. You mentioned your mission critical as a key element. What were some of the early lessons learned during that time? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one thing when I look back on it now that stands out, and maybe I got a lot of exposure to the whole area of mergers and acquisitions at a very early stage. Uh, that company I mentioned, Laboratory Data Control, went on to become part of uh, Fisher Scientific, was acquired by them. Um, I stayed with the parent company, which was called Milton Roy, um, and we pivoted the business uh, in Ireland that I was involved with into... Uh, electronic control of dosing pumps for water treatment. Again, the common theme for me, my background, my training was in chemistry, and that was the linkage between the laboratory instrumentation and then water treatment obviously has a lot of chemistry involved. Um, but found myself in, you know, in, in invoking many different technologies and learning many different technologies at that time. Um, but the interesting thing, again, relating to inorganic growth and, and acquisition is Milton Roy was subsequently acquired by a company called Sunstrand. Um, that led to a situation where I relocated to France um, to move a business unit uh, to become part of a, a, a larger business unit there. It was uh, very fundamental to my development and experience, I would say, working in, in another country, managing sales teams and channel in many different countries and a sales team in France. Um, 
So, you know, the influence of mergers and acquisitions from a variety of perspectives. At that time, it was being acquired. Uh, later on, it, it led to making acquisitions and using that experience of being acquired to uh, hopefully do the right things when you were acquiring a business. Uh, again, the theme of mission criticality, you know, in water treatment, you have to have many, many layers of resilience. We hear stories these days about uh, cyber uh, attacks on municipal uh, water treatment plants. But, you know, in general, there's many layers of resilience in those control systems that you, you learn from, from that situation. Um, so I think the other aspect that came to, to bear through the various uh, mergers and acquisitions, there's always some issues with channel that need to be resolved. Um, and I generally found myself uh, involved in, you know, in channel development. And then when you had a, a merger, you had a number of channel in the same region, in the same country. Uh, it led sometimes to some difficult decisions to decide, you know, what was the optimum uh, channel for us going forward in the new environment with the new company. Um, you had to learn that. And a really common lesson learned, I would say, throughout my career, which maybe is independent of the digital journey and is one that is, is very common uh, across all industries, is when it comes to the area of, of, of customer service, it's really translating all this great technology. And I've, you know, I've been involved with a lot of companies with some great technology. Advantech is right up there in terms of technology and, and product offering. But ultimately, it's about understanding uh, applications and particularly the customer's pain points. How can we translate uh, the wonderful technology in terms of how it can address those pain points? How can it uh, bring that level of convenience, that added value element uh, to enable your customer's business to thrive? Um, I think that's the real standout key lesson I would take from uh, all the aspects of my career and experience. Mm. And and really drilling down on that in our earlier conversations, you know, before this podcast, we talked a lot about your work in uh, the Precision Tool Group. So you became VP of Global Sales and Marketing for them, uh, a manufacturer of precision tooling for fasteners and metal forging. Um, no pun intended, but I understand that you actually forged some of the early outcome-based solution and pricing models that uh, that they um, enjoyed. Can you talk a little bit more about these models and, and the yeah. resulting wins? Yes. Um, you know, I think there is two key elements of my experience with in, in, in the tooling industry. So it was somewhat of a, a diversion for me from, from the other industries I was involved with. But um, early on, I learned that to understand uh, tooling and, and, and the benefits, and we were involved in high precision tooling for critical applications like uh, thread uh, tools for, uh, you know, rolling uh, threads on very critical fasteners, like the ones that hold the engine onto an aircraft wing, or the uh, very important safety uh, bolts, Conrad bolts, et cetera, in automotive. Um, so, so very critical ultimate, uh, you know, application areas. But for a couple of things from a business point of view, um, you know, for most items that uh, you, you end up involved in sales and business and you're promoting your products and you encounter 
professional purchasers on the other end of the table. And of course, they're doing their job and they're always fighting for value. They're always fighting for the best price and value for their company. Um, but specifically in tooling, it's it's true in many industries, but very particularly so here, the, the value in the tool is basically the lifetime value. Um, you know, you really need to understand the processes of that customer, the machine, the tool is being used in. Uh, the cost of a machine turnover can be, you know, magnitudes of the cost of the tool. Um, so achieving long life in a tool, uh, not having that as the critical point uh, that that causes a, you know, a, a machine uh, turnaround. Um, that's that's really really important, but it was a you know sometimes a difficult value to sell if you didn't get the right audience. Um, so because of our knowledge in tooling in general, first of all we had to understand what are the tool technologies that we're really best in class at, ones that we're world leaders in, and and we obviously promoted those uh, to the maximum. But it was equally important for us to understand that while we had a great knowledge of other forms of tooling, we had ceased to be uh, maybe the most competitive in the world at making those, but we knew enough about them and we knew what constituted great tools to understand that if we were uh, involved in brokering those, uh, in finding the best sources for them, uh, we had a key role to offer in terms of the management of that tooling. So putting all those issues together, we came up with the concept of what we call forming tool man management, where we you know, engaged with companies at a high level. We had a deep understanding of the metrics that drove uh, you know, uh, tooling in an industry. Uh, what was you know, your, what should your average tooling cost be um, in proportion to your output or to your sales? And by going open book with these customers and understanding where they were at, we would make a really strong commitment to them over a number of years program, maybe a three, five year program, uh, to achieve the optimum level of tooling cost as a percentage of output. And on the journey to get there, um, you know, we provided them with our world leading best in class tools. And we set up sourcing organizations in Asia, in the US, in Europe, um, to acquire other tools from best in class companies, uh, but manage that whole process in an efficient manner. Uh, and thereby, we would make commitments to those companies that they would achieve their goals. And if they didn't, we would actually write them a check for the difference between what their tooling cost was and what we projected it should be. So, you know, I, I keep thinking about that one um, in recent years when we talk about new business models being derived from IoT uh, and ways of thinking. And that was a fairly, you know, back in that time, uh, a very forward thinking methodology. Uh, in terms of bringing pure customer value um, in a way that was, you know, very, very much results-based. So that was one very important element of that. Um, yes, I think and, and it just uh, to, to kind of reinforce the outcome-based part of that, many times we'll call that outcome-based. Now, GE, of course, talked a lot about always focusing on the outcomes versus the technology enablers of those. So uh, it's interesting how we've translated that as we come forward in kind of the you know, digital journeys there. Yeah, and I think the, you know, the second important part of that journey for me was um, – 
you know, I joined the company at a time where we had a very specific uh, strategy to uh, grow through acquisition. Uh, by its nature, the tooling industry uh, had a lot of uh, small companies, some of them very, very closely linked to major industries and major companies in their location. And they grew up around those companies, but they developed a lot of skills and a lot of competence. So our concept was to marry together um, a professional, uh, you know, channel uh, development program um, so that as we acquired these smaller companies, we could very quickly take their value uh, to other regions through our channel through a competent channel that we were developing. Um, so we started out with what was a, you know, a strategy to grow inorganically through acquisition, but doing so in parallel to the development of a channel strategy. Um, and, and I found this to be a really interesting phase, um, uh, you know, for me personally with some of these acquisitions, I was uh, very involved in the case of one we met in Milan. Uh, I ended up going there to work there for most of the first year while we were um, searching for a new general manager for that location um, and, you know, got a lot of insights uh, into those businesses. Very often we acquired them from uh, a family. They were a family-owned business. Um, we wanted to make those acquisitions in a way that uh, involved, uh, you know, those people's experiences, their skill sets. Um, and uh, kept them very involved in the business with their contacts, et cetera. So a lot of lessons learned there that I was able to apply later when it came to uh, inorganic growth. Mm. Yes, very much so. A very solid, uh, if you will, uh, focus that, um, you know, that, that carried that forward. In 2006, you joined BNB Electronics Group, a company with a 25-year history of delivering rugged and reliable wired and wireless connectivity solutions in machine-to-machine. -machine. You expanded that business early on with a first acquisition, not surprising given our conversations. What was the reason for resorting to inorganic growth so early, and you know what did you have to do to prepare the organization for this? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I suppose the first surprise for me in joining b and in 2006 was understanding that, you know, a substantial amount of their business uh, and the b and business was with uh, various types of uh, serial communications interfaces, um, you know, serial protocol converters, serial to Ethernet, serial to USB, serial to serial. Uh, and for me, the shock was, you know, uh, re-engaging with serial interfaces after my first role <laughs> many years before in a company and understanding that it was still a very important communication. Um, so, you know, going beyond that, I think the first thing at that time was to understand the the B and B business model had developed um, mainly in the U.S. as a catalog company, um, and and. B&B was one of the first companies to adopt, uh, you know, uh, you know, e-store sales, uh, web sales, online sales uh, in, in, in this industry. Uh, and that derived from, you know, the catalog foundations. A consequence of the catalog approach is that we looked like an attractive channel for many other companies, some of whom we would have some competitive products with. But we were very successful in introducing some other brands, uh, particularly into the U.S. market and growing that business. 
when I joined uh, B&B, I was working in Europe and I was leading the European organization um, and it was an early stage. That direct catalog model for a variety of reasons, language being one, culture another, uh, you know, European countries in that industry tended to do business with locals. So therefore building a channel might have been a more uh, relevant approach. So working with that model and I suppose taking into account some of my earlier learnings around added value, uh, mission criticality, um, understanding the customer's pain points and addressing those, um, I started to develop some business in the EMEA region that was more key account focused, it was more project oriented uh, rather than your typical transactional uh, catalog sale. Um, and, and therefore, you know, we started looking, how could we create more value? Um, we started to produce a number of uh, custom products, uh, specially designed, designed to order type products using our engineering teams um, to provide customers with, you know, that 100% solution, that, that final piece that gave them the added value um, that really worked for them, that optimized the solution. Um, made the price of the product less relevant because of the value being delivered. Um, so that was uh, sort of early stages in that. Um, I would say the reason why inorganic growth then became very important is as we wanted to become less reliant on the resale of other brands and depend more on the development of our own technology, we had some gaps uh, to fill, trying to fill that technology gap with organic growth and development um, would have taken some time. At this stage, we were also private equity owned, um, you know, and private equity companies, and we've had some uh, good owners willing to invest in the company, but there's a limit to the amount of investment that a private equity company wants to do in terms of R&D. Um, it's probably uh, more in the model to acquire a company with that technology that also brings uh, revenue, uh, business and customers along with it. Um, so we embarked on some uh, bolt-on acquisitions uh, leading to the acquisition of a company called Quatech in Ohio. We were a reseller for Quatech. We understood a lot of the value they brought to the company that was uh, based in Ohio. We were in Illinois and that acquisition was uh, quite easy to, to integrate. Um, we then acquired a company called IMC in California, whose speciality was in fiber media con conversion. Um, they had a, a really strong business with uh, government agencies. And one that I was particularly uh, pushing and driving was uh, ultimately our acquisition of uh, Canal uh, based in Czech Republic. Um, mainly for the technology of cellular routers um, and, the, you know, they were a really uh, solid uh, company, uh, great engineering foundation, doing really well in Europe. And we saw the opportunity to uh, bring on this technology. We had been reselling some other uh, brands of cellular technology at that time. We understood the value where this could go in terms of remote con connectivity, machine to machine, uh, communications, et cetera. Um, but an interesting common theme amongst all the acquisitions we did is they were doing business through the more traditional uh, channel route to market. 
um, and they, they all sold with channels. So a lot of added value that came our way were these channel relationships. Um, but it, you know, it, it posed an interesting question for us. The foundational business was built upon direct selling, direct marketing models. Um, you know, internal customer service, internal technical support, um, supporting that business uh, to one where um, it was predominantly through channel. I think for the international markets and particularly for Europe, that model worked better. Um, and I think we faced uh, some challenges in integrating and altering that approach in North America, which we ultimately uh, did successfully, um, while maintaining a certain direct presence through through the web. Uh, obviously, the catalog is is no longer um, a feature of that uh, of that model, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, e-store sell is definitely part of it. The uh, strategy must have worked well because I think in 2013 you went on to become president and CEO of B plus B Smartworks, a new name for the next phase of uh, that company's growth. How did you uh, evolve the focus of the company and continue to drive the uh, growth trajectory? Yeah, so that brand change was quite important. I think, uh, first of all, you know, the, the, the whole issue and topic uh, around IoT was emerging very strongly at that stage. It was around 2013, 2014. Um, we felt that we had changed a lot as a company. Um, we were more reliant on the development of our own technology, um, you know, our own technology foundations, um, our own solutions and what we could bring to the table. Um, it was less about uh, transactional selling, uh, commodity selling, uh, more about offering solutions. And we had some interesting thoughts in terms of development at that time. So we embarked on a a major R&D push to a, a technology we had, um, you know, done some work with a, a number of years previously. Maybe the market wasn't ready for it. So we were uh, involved with dust uh, technologies, as they were known then, with their smart mesh uh, IP, uh, very low power uh, wireless technology, which we felt, you know, had a lot to offer in the market for, you know, th these emerging thoughts around uh, sensors, wireless sensors, low energy sensors. Uh, and we developed the uh, Wizard product line, uh, which was, you know, a real advance for us into the southbound side of uh, of the communications track, really getting out to the edge. You know, at that time, we had a lot of gateways. We had a lot of products that could be considered edge, uh, but really getting to the edge and measuring data um, uh, with some intelligence uh, right out at the edge of the network. And we saw our role as, you know, gathering that data and reliably and securely transmitting that data to some higher authority, whether that was a back-end uh, cloud management, uh, you know, a back-end uh, sophisticated control system uh, to, to make those types of decisions, but to do so uh, with a lot of intelligence built in. Um, so, so that was a really important development at that time, and we felt that our brand needed to change to reflect uh, that deeper dive into technology. Um, to distinguish uh, ourselves more in terms of what we were doing at that phase. Um, and our ownership at that time greatly supported the idea that, you know, with, with private equity ownership, um, everyone knows that at some stage um, the, the company will probably be sold. Um, there were options. We were already in 
a second phase of private equity ownership. And, you know, feeling amongst the management team and myself at that time was that the next exit would be better for the company overall if it could be to a strategic owner. Um, it was good that our ownership at that time was open to all possibilities, maybe a financial buyer, but also a strategic buyer, and, and understood that we needed to have a deeper uh, bench in terms of uh, technology, uh, product competence, uh, skill sets in that direction uh, to be attractive to a strategic buyer. Uh, so we made those kinds of investments and, you know, the, the branding change was a reflection of that. Well, uh, all of it aligned, uh, including the strategic buyer, because uh, in 2015, you sold Advantech. I'm sorry, you sold your company, B Plus B Smartworks, to Advantech for a reported near $100 million. You know, from all external indicators, this is um, really proven to be a successful acquisition and, and integration, at least from our perspective looking outside in. What, what, what do you believe made it so? I think a number of things. First of all, you know, uh, B&B Smartworks had a long-standing relationship with Advantech. Um, back in the days of our catalog, we featured their products, a number of their products widely. We were extremely successful in setting, selling the Advantech range of Adam I.O. modules. Uh, I think it fitted very well with our product line. Uh, so there was that, you know, internal um, existing um, communication and knowledge that was there. Uh, we were huge admirers of Advantech in terms of how they had grown and developed um, in the marketplace, uh, led by Casey. Uh, I think Casey's influence, you know, for a company that's become quite large, um, it still had that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, so amongst our leadership team at the time, and, and you know, these issues are never, never uh, you know, resolved by one person. There's usually a team involved and our team was well aligned. And uh, with the options available to us at that time, we found that this was an attractive option. Um, probably on the Advantech side, um, maybe what they saw more than what we were looking at was uh, less on the technology and more on what we had achieved uh, through the channel relationships we had developed. Um, and therefore, access to those channels, uh, access to that revenue was also an important point to them, along with selective technologies that we had. Um, so I think, you know, they were the factors that uh, helped the decision. Uh, maybe my own experience over the years in both being acquired and making acquisitions um, played some role in helping the subsequent uh, successful integration, um, along with the, the committed team we had um, in place at that time, um, and the open-mindedness of the team to, to new things, to change. Um, I suppose being owned by private equity for a number of years exposed everybody in the leadership team to uh, the reality that, uh, you know, ownership changes will occur, can occur. So um, it's not like a great shock to the system. People are, are ready for it. And uh, we felt through the process we went through that our management team had a, a, a large say in, in how the uh, future would go. We were obviously... Uh, you know, very, very involved in all of the due diligence and evaluation processes that took place. Um, so, you know, we were uh, very much pivotal in, in that whole situation. 
And I'd say post-integration, uh, um, certainly the business has continued to you know, strive to do extremely well. Uh, so you've led Advantex industrial IoT efforts in, in North America. What, uh, what are some of the key trends that you're tracking relative to the industrial IoT, and, and where do you see the opportunity spaces in, in North America and perhaps even in Europe? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously um, everybody had huge hopes for uh, industrial IoT, uh, digital industry, uh, this migration, um, this explosion that everybody was expecting. And I suppose up to a year or two ago, there was a certain level of disappointment in terms of the reality of that. Um, I think what we're seeing today uh, very much, the you know, are a lot of the themes coming to fruition. Uh, we're seeing huge interest in everything to do with edge compute, um, bringing intelligence to the edge, uh, computer platforms that are quite powerful at the edge, ones that can run uh, sophisticated machine learning and AI algorithms. Uh, we're seeing a very strong emergence of video-based, particularly video-based AI um, in, in a lot of application areas that we're involved with. And, you know, newer technologies that are emerging around communications like 5G, um, we have a lot going on to be uh, part of that migration. Um, we think the 5G one is particularly interesting. We're seeing a lot of growth in, in private cellular networks, but, you know, the promise of low latency wireless communication uh, for industrial commu control processes is very, very interesting. But, you know, I, I would say for us to encapsulate the real um, excitement that's going on right now is, is around edge compute. And, and this brings in another very interesting aspect to the business. And, and for many years, people have talk, talked about, you know, eco-partnerships, partnership programs. But we're really seeing some of these come to fruition right now. Um, a lot of great emerging uh, software early stage companies um, with really nice applications delivering a lot of value. Um, you know, we feel we can be a really stable partner for those companies. We have a enormous range of hardware platforms to host that software on. Um, we've got a lot of the market penetration and contacts to, to help them grow. Um, and therefore, you know, you're getting to the point of what constitutes a great partnership commercially where there is a mutual commercial success, um, some great projects that we can participate and win together. Um, so I, I see that as a really strongly emerging area as well, um, particularly because of our strength in hardware platforms. Um, I think we can have really interesting partnerships with uh, a lot of these emerging software companies and solution companies. Uh, we think in overall trends um, as part of the vision, obviously a huge amount of the value in the future market will be delivered through solutions and services. Partnering with the right types of system integrators and, you know, there's there's a, a need and maybe some of the slowness and the adoption of uh, industrial IoT was the lack of maybe system integrators that needed to make that migration from being purely OT or being purely IT um, to that combined uh, domain-focused system integrator 
um, type of company that we believe is is key to growing this market. And we're seeing the emergence of uh, uh, some interesting system integrators there and solution companies, ISVs, that understand that, uh, you know, to win in this market requires a, a mixture of thinking, a mixture of technologies, uh, this long-discussed uh, migration of IT and OT uh, that needs to happen. Uh, we feel that a lot of companies are really getting that now uh, and understanding it and, and what it means. So a lot of opportunities in this marketplace at the moment. Uh, for us, we would say, you know, really led uh, by huge interest in edge compute. And you guys are clearly well positioned for that because, of course, Edge uh, is based on Edge hardware and uh, Edgeware and uh, moving completely up the stack, as you say, into solutions as well. I think equally as well placed is your past experience at B and B and B plus B, uh, given the, the learnings you had in both cases and the value uh, that you saw really coming out of uh, the, the work with uh, Advantech, uh, especially as you say on the commercial and channel side. It's a part of that business that people probably underrate a bit compared to the, you know, they're, they're a great technology provider. And uh, and I agree with you that um, in our experience with them as well, that is probably the, the, bit the hidden jewel in terms of yeah. working with Advantech. So um, really kind of summing up your experience in, in organic growth, you've, you've been on both sides of the table in terms of being an acquirer and acquiree. You know, what are some of the key considerations a potential acquirer should consider and, you know, conversely, what a potential acquiree should, should consider in, uh, in some circumstances? Yeah, obviously, from the acquirer side, um, understanding uh, the strategy, um, the reason to make this acquisition is very important. I suppose th through everyone's career, we have seen some bad examples of acquisitions that didn't work out. And I think sometimes it comes down to the simple fact that the acquirer forgets the reason why that company was a great company they wanted to acquire anyway. Um, and, you know, that sounds simple, but it's 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 so true sometimes is that, you know, uh, you buy the company because it has these outstanding features and then you do things that ignores <laughs> those features. Um, so that can be the bad side. I think having a strategy, having worked out what the post integration is going to look like and be ready to communicate and execute on that. You know, execution in, a po in integration can vary. Uh, there are times when you want to go softly, softly, slowly, and there are times when it makes sense to move more quickly depending on what the strategy is. But I think the important thing to do at all times is to maintain a strong, open communication um, because you want to bring people with you. There are important skill sets. There's important industry knowledge um, in, in the company you're acquiring. Um, you know, you don't want to lose that. Uh, you want to encourage it. You want to look for opportunities for people to advance in, in the new reality. Um, so I think spending the time to understand the business. You know, in the case of when we were acquired by Advantech, we were already a company that was professionally managed. I think you face other channel challenges when you acquire a company that's, you know, a family business. The original founders are still there. Their passion for the business and how they went about doing that business uh, is very strong. Um, and I think you need to adopt uh, some additional tactics there. You need to really get a deep understanding of what drives those individuals because, 
Usually they're very important to the success in the post-acquisition phase. Um, so you need to understand their drivers. You need to understand a lot about them, develop the right kind of relationship with them. Um, because otherwise, you know, there's a lot more emotion, I think, in an acquisition that is met directly uh, with founders or with a family company uh, compared to a professionally managed company. Um, but they can they can all be successful. I think you've just got to um, adopt and adapt uh, your tactics. Um, but it always has to be founded on the right strategy to start with. You know, you've got to see what the synergies are going to be. Uh, obviously, synergies that are uh, based on uh, driving lots of growth are always the best and most exciting for everybody. Um, you know, the reality is there are also acquisitions that uh, uh, leverage synergies on the cost side. Um, they're difficult uh, to manage. Again, the communications is important. Uh, you try to, you know, you need to be uh, very fair to team members who've given good service, etc. But they can, uh, they can be more difficult to manage. But nonetheless, they can also be very important to the long-term sustainability of a business. Um, so, so you know, I've encountered all sides uh, again. Obviously, one's founded on a strategy for going after significant growth uh, is very exciting, and and usually the acquired company sees the acquirer is coming with the right resources and strength and capability as we saw with Advantech to to help us grow and develop in that way. Yeah, truly uh, revenue accretive and, and, and in the short term, those are always the best acquisitions where you can see the very strong, as you say, kind of growth oriented synergies in, uh, in that regard. Finally, and, uh, and briefly, just curious, where do you find inspiration, you know, personally, I think, you know, books, people, online, etc.? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would have uh, been a great admirer of some books like uh, Good to Great or Habits, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But I think for me, the more inspiring um, scenarios have been some of the great mentors and business leaders I've encountered through various businesses I've worked in. Uh, I think that's where I've uh, gotten most of my inspiration. Uh, on a very broad general basis, I, I'm constantly inspired by great sports people. Um, you know, when you analyze and look at the psychology of sport and you look at the efforts and uh, the the amazing, uh, you know, effort that sports people make to uh, reach that pinnacle, um, it's, it's always inspiring. But from a business perspective, I would say, again, it's mostly people. Uh, other business leaders and mentors, um, you know, some had a great significance for me. And clearly the uh, art of uh, the inorganic growth option. <laughs> so, yeah. Jerry, thank you for spending this time with us today. Ken, it was a pleasure. Thank you. As, uh, as well. So this has been Jerry O'Gorman, Vice President of Industrial IoT for Advantech North America, and if I may, Inorganic Growth Practitioner. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. 
Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.